Well, welcome to The Reset. We are talking about praise today. Last week we talked about praise a little bit. We praise God because of who he is and because of what he's done. And he's given us lots of ways to praise him. We can sing and we can shout and we can dance and we can bow and worship. And man, he just created us to be expressive beings made in his image. If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley and I'm the senior pastor here at Hope. And we're so glad that you've joined us today as we're learning about praise. Last week we talked about praise because of who he is. Today we're talking about praising when it's kind of hard. You know, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, right? Take heart though, he says, I have overcome the world. I think sometimes we run into trouble and we're like, ah, I didn't know there was going to be trouble. And I think it's so helpful for us to know Jesus said, there will be trouble, but it's okay because I've overcome. It's going to be okay. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, it's going to be okay. Jesus has overcome. Come on. Or maybe you're like, I'm actually not facing any trouble right now. I'm so happy for you. That is good. Just put this message in your pocket for when you face trouble trouble. Because you know, this life, it's difficult. Bad things happen. They're not from God. They're from the enemy, Satan. Jesus says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This life is difficult. This life is dramatic, you know. In this life, there are people. And us people, we tend to sometimes be dramatic. We tend to sin, you know, our sin, other people's sin makes things a little bit messy. Proverbs talks about, you know, where there are no oxen, the stalls are clean. Basically, where there are no people, there's no mess. But God loves people, and we love people, and life is so good with people. We just have to know that because we're people sometimes there's drama. This life, it can also be draining, you know? Some days they just drain the life out of you. But Jesus, he's our, he's our source. If we don't go back to him to be filled, we can feel empty. We can feel depleted. We can feel burned out. This life, it's also a little, a little daunting, you know? God has put dreams in your heart. Uh, actually, I heard someone say this week at a conference, they said, God had a dream and he wrapped your flesh around that dream. And your dreams, they're actually God's dreams. And he gets, you get to be a part of making his dreams happen on the earth. I think that's so cool. But you got to know, because they're God's dreams, they're a little intimidating. They're a little, a little daunting, you know? The other thing about life is it can be disappointing, because it's not heaven, right? This is not heaven. This is not the Garden of Eden. I don't, I don't know if you realize that. This is not the Garden of Eden. So it can be a little disappointing because we were created for paradise. We were created to experience God every day, to walk with God. So because of where we're at, we're on this earth, it's a little disappointing sometime. Without Jesus, really, this life, it can be depressing. But with Jesus, everything changes. You know, he takes the difficult. He says, my yoke is easy. 
My burden is light. He takes the drama and he heals your broken heart. Come on. When you're drained, he says, anyone who comes to me will never thirst. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Come on. He supplies what we need. When things are daunting, he is with you in the valley. He is with you in the hard thing. When it's disappointing, we have a hope in Jesus that never disappoints. But what do we do when life is hard? I mean, we know all of that, but we like to have something to do when things are unexpected, when tragedy happens, when trauma happens, when we're in the middle of a battle, when we get a bad, bad report, when we're hurting. Today, we're going to look at one of the kings of Judah and how he faced one of the hardest battles of his life. Judah, they had just defeated this enemy nation narrowly. And so their armies, they're tired. They're like, yeah, we won, but now let's just rest, okay? And then 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in this chapter uh, the rest of the morning. In this chapter, he gets some news. It says, sometime later, the Moabites and Ammonites, accompanied by the Meunites, joined forces to make war on Jehoshaphat. Man, I thought we were at peace. And that's a lot of bad guys. Jehoshaphat received this intelligence report. A huge force is on its way from beyond the Dead Sea to fight you. There's no time to waste. They're already at Hazazan Tamar, the oasis of En Gedi. Shaken, Jehoshaphat prayed. So he's like, ah, bad news. And he's shaken. I love that the Bible says that. When we get bad news, we're affected by that, you know? It's okay to be a little shaken. But what does he do in his shakenness? He doesn't run away and hide. He doesn't turn to his coping mechanisms. He doesn't start complaining. He prays. Shaken, he prays. Next verse. He went to God for help, and he ordered a nationwide fast. The country united in seeking God's help. They came to pray to God. Uh, Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat took a position before the assembled people of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of God in front of the new courtyard and said, God, God of our ancestors, you are not God in heaven above and are you not? (laughs) Are you not God in heaven above and ruler of all kingdoms below? I love this. He's saying, God, I know who you are. You're above everything. You hold all power and might in your fist. No one stands a chance against you. Remember, we praise God for who he is. He's saying, this is who you are, God. I know you're good. And didn't you make the natives of this land leave as you brought your people in, turning it over permanently to your people, Israel, the descendants of Abraham, your friend? We've lived here. We built a holy house of worship, house of worship, to honor you, saying when the worst happens, whether war or flood or disease or famine, We can relate to all those things. When the worst happens, natural disasters, sickness, not having enough. When that happens, if we take our place before this temple, we know you're personally present in this place. And we pray out our pain and trouble. We know you'll listen and give victory. I love that. 
Scholars say that this is one of the best speeches in the Bible because it's so accurate to who God is. You know, there's times in the Bible when people are honest and they're feeling their feelings, but what they say is not accurate to who God is. For example, Job, he lost everything because of Satan. And the first thing he did was worship God, which is really, really good. But in worshiping God, he also says, God gives and God takes away, which is not biblically accurate. Satan takes away. God gives. But right here, Jehoshaphat, he's saying, God, you are powerful. You hold everything in your fist. You've given us victory in our past. Your presence is with us right now. And we're turning to you because of who you are and what you've done. Just like we talked about last week. When the worst happens, he's saying, we get to go before you in worship. And when we worship, we have a greater awareness of your presence. He's saying, we go to the temple because that's where God's presence is. But because of Jesus, God's presence, the Holy Spirit, he's with us all the time. We're constantly in his presence. A lot of the time, we're just unaware. And what worship does, it brings us back into reminding, hello, God's right here. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12. He says, we don't know what to do. We're looking to you. I love that, that honesty. We don't know what to do. Help. I think so many times we're afraid to admit we don't know what to do. But the mark of a good leader is to say, God, I'm at the end of my rope, but I know that that's where you are. That's where there's more of God and his rule. That's what Jesus said. I know that your power works best in weakness. So the quicker guy can say, God, I have no idea what I'm doing then the quicker that we get to see things from his perspective. What does he do? He says, we're looking to you. We're turning our eyes upon Jesus. We're looking to you. We don't know what to do. You do not have to have all the answers in this life. I want to tell you that today. Take the pressure off of yourself. You know, sometimes when I'm leading, I don't have all the answers. But I'm a good leader because when I don't know what I'm doing, I'm listening for God and he leads better than I lead. And he lets me be a part of his dreams. It's so exciting. We turn our eyes on him. I don't know what to do. I'm looking to you. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 13. Everyone in Judah was there. Little children, wives, sons, all present and attentive to God. I love this. Whole families worshiping God together. And, and the Bible's particular to say that the wives and the children were there because in much of the Old Testament when they assembled, it was just the men. But God is saying, no, no, no. Their whole family was worshiping together. Mom, dad, kids. There's so much power when we praise together as a family. And, and really, there's so much power when kids praise because they believe what they're saying. They have the faith of a child. And so when they're declaring praises to God, they're like, he's in the room. I believe it. It's true. But sometimes as adults, we're thinking about other things and we're distracted and we're like, yeah, I know he's in the room. But kids are like, no, I know. He's in the room right now. It's so exciting. Psalm 8, 2, it says, nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babble. Come on. 
What's that saying? It's saying, when kids praise, Satan is silent. He doesn't know what to say. He's defenseless against the truth of the word of God, the truth of who God is. So when kids are praising God, Satan has to bow. Like there's so much power in just the faith of a child. And if there's so much power in their praise, man, when we get together to praise together, there is so much power in the room. Come on. So the enemy has to shut up when kids praise. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 14. Let's keep going with our story. So they're all praising together. Then Jehaziel was moved by the Spirit of God to speak from the midst of the congregation. And it talks about his family heritage there. He's a prophet, basically. He said, attention, everyone, all of you from out of town, all of you from Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. This is God's word. Don't be afraid. Don't pay any mind to this vandal horde. This is God's war, not yours. Come on. They're in the presence of God. And God's always speaking. They're listening. And so the Holy Spirit uses someone to speak his word to all of them. You know, the same way God uses me on Sunday morning to speak to you. So many people come up after church, they're like, you know exactly what I'm going through. You spoke exactly to my heart. I'm like, it wasn't me. It's the Holy Spirit. But yay for listening, right? That's why we're here, to listen to what the Holy Spirit has for us today. He speaks in God's word, and he speaks truth to us today in the moment as well. He's always speaking. And these guys, they're listening. They're listening. And he says, the battle is not yours. This is God's war. This is God's war. Every battle in your life, it's actually not your battle. It's a battle for who you're going to worship. Before the foundation of the world, God created angels to worship him. And he created archangels, Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. And Lucifer, he was a worship leader. The Bible says, Ezekiel says he was so beautiful. He made beautiful music to God. But there was a point where he said, I will be like God. I don't want to worship God. I want to be worshiped. And God says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. As a Lucifer, he's cast out of heaven. And one third of the angels are cast out with him. And they become what we know of as demons. Now, two thirds of the angels stayed in heaven. So you got to know there are always way more angels than demons, right? There's double the angels. Double on God's side than Satan's side. But when Adam and Eve were tempted, Satan said, if you eat this fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. You know how Satan wanted to be like God. He's like, you guys, you want to be like God. Why are you worshiping him? You want to be like God. And so, you know, they ate the fruit of the tree. They trusted the enemy instead of God. They were sent out of the Garden of Eden. You know, when Jesus was tempted, Satan said, hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus, he's Jesus. He's like, um, hello, I'm Jesus. I, I don't need that. And he quotes the word of God back to him. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
I love that. Why does this matter? The enemy's been after our worship from the beginning of time. And because he hates God, he'll come after you. Specifically, he'll come after your worship. And, and, and we don't call it that, you know. We call it other things, but that's really what this battle is all about. And the enemy, he has the authority on the earth that Adam and Eve gave him at the fall, where they gave up their authority. God said, Adam and Eve, you have dominion. But they handed that over. And so now what happens is the enemy, he has authority on the earth. And that's where, you know, storms and bad things happen and and demons and all of that. But Jesus, he defeated Satan at the cross. He took back the authority. Come on. And the cool thing is he gives that authority to us. And and we know from Revelation that one day Satan He's going to be cast into the lake of fire. You know, he's not going to be allowed to do anything anymore. His time is limited. But right now, God is waiting for people to turn to him. He doesn't want anybody not to have the opportunity to trust him. At the name of Jesus, demons must bow. There's a story in Mark where this demon-possessed man, he comes to Jesus. And the, the Bible says he bowed in worship before Jesus. Because that's what the demons have to do. They know who he is. They shudder. And because of Jesus, we who have trusted in Jesus, who have authority, who are praising, we can, ca- we can tear down strongholds against the kingdom of darkness. Lies of the enemy, we can tear them down. We speak the truth of God's word. Any, anything the enemy sends against you, you can speak against it because of Jesus. Uh, Psalm 149 and verse 5, it says, let true lovers break out in praise. Remember, worship is love expressed. Let the true lovers of God break out in praise. Sing out from wherever they're sitting. Shout the high praises of God. Brandish their swords in the wild sword dance, the truth of God's word. A portent of vengeance on the God-defying nations, a signal that punishment's coming. This is talking about God-defying nations. It's talking about principalities. It's talking about demonic realms. It's saying our praises remind them that their end is coming. Their king's chained and hauled off to jail. Our praises have that power. Their leaders behind bars for good. The judgment on them carried out to the letter. And all who love God in the seat of honor, hallelujah. Come on. This is the heritage of all of God's people. The enemy territories, the enemy nations, the demonic strongholds, they are bound by our praises. 2 Chronicles 20 and uh, verse 17 so here's what happened. Uh, that, that prophetic guy just spoke. He says, tomorrow you'll go after the bad guys. See, they're already on their way up the slopes of Ziz. You'll meet them at the end of the ravine near the wilderness of Jeruel. You won't have to lift a hand in this battle. Just stand firm. Judah and Jerusalem and watch God's saving work for you take shape. Watch God work. Don't be afraid. Don't waver. March out boldly tomorrow. God is with you. He says, stand firm today. You don't have to be afraid. And then tomorrow, what you're going to do is march. You're not going to fight. You're not going to lift a hand, but you are going to march. I love this. So they're, they're worshiping God. God is speaking to them. 
And, and while they're worshiping, his presence is with him. Why is it important for us to worship when we're going through hard things? Because when things go wrong, when there's a battle against you, worship is love expressed. We're loving God. And as we love God, we're receiving his love. We're allowing him to love us. If you think about in the natural, when you go through something hard in life, you know, I think about uh, when my dad passed away and we got the news and I was pregnant with Sophie. And I remember people knocking on our apartment door at five in the morning to tell us that, you know, we're like, what's going on? Who's here at 5 a.m., you know? Jay had, I think he got like a baseball bat out of the closet, honestly, like, eh, just in case, we need this. I don't, I don't know. But some, our, our friend knocked on our door and basically they said, my dad passed away. And I just remember in that moment, just going into Jay's arms and, and being held by him. Because whenever we go through hard things, we need to be comforted. And I think of, I think of my children and Ryder, we actually have Ryder backstage. Come on out, buddy. Yay! And he's got his little bear hug bear. You want to show him your bear? Nice. And whenever my kids are sad, and whenever they're going through something, what I always say to them is, do you need a hug? Do you need a hug? And, and what do you say? You say, yes. yes. And what do we do? We hug. And I wrap my arms around him, and I hold him. That's really good, buddy. This is a picture of what God does to us. All right, you could go backstage. Thank you. When you're going through something and you're worshiping God, He's holding you, He's comforting you. You can physically feel Him with you. Sophie was asking last night at bedtime. What about when I'm grown up and you can't come and hug me and comfort me like you do and like you did today? God is with you. We need to worship because we need to let God love us. We need to be reminded that he surrounds us. He's so much bigger than me hugging Ryder. Psalm 512 says, you welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. We run into his arms. Another version says, you're a shield around me. You surround me with favor as like a shield. A shield protects us. Now, when arrows fly at you, they bounce right off the shield. A shield keeps you safe. You know, and God, he doesn't just hug us the front. He's a shield the whole way around us. He's got your back too, come on. In 2 Kings, there's this prophet, Elisha, and he's got this servant, Gehazi, and they're camped out, and they wake up in the morning, and Gehazi goes out for some water, and he's like, whoa, we're surrounded by the enemy all around the hills, enemy forces surrounding them. And he it goes to Elijah, he's like, what do we do? This is really bad, right? That's the question we all ask when something bad happens. What do we do? And Elijah, he's like, relax. God, will you open his eyes so he can see? And, and he, his eyes are opened to not just the natural realm, but the spiritual realm. And what he sees is chariots of fire, God's army surrounding those that are surrounding them. That's what's really happening. God is always with us. God was there with them. But we look around and sometimes we feel like maybe he's not. We can feel like he's silent. 
When we worship, when we praise, we get awareness of his presence. We're reminded that he's right there holding us. He's right there beside us. Verse 19, 2 Chronicles 20 and 19. The Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood to their feet to praise God, the God of Israel. They praised at the top of their lungs. So they got this good news. They're not going to have to fight. They're going to march out tomorrow. And they're like, yeah! They haven't won the battle yet. Yeah! We're going to win! We're in the middle of a battle. We're going to praise God. Come on. When we're in the middle of a battle, we need to worship. We need to praise God. We need to declare who he is. We need to remind ourselves who he is. We need to remind the enemy who he is. When we go through tragedy, our churches need to lead the way in worship. I think about when we had a, a pastoral transition two years ago. We should have had a worship night. We need to worship. When things go wrong, it's so tempting to isolate. It's so tempting to just get all up in our feelings. It's so tempting to just stay in bed and be alone. That's what the enemy wants you to do. But we need people around us who will worship with us in the middle of the hard thing. Because God uses people. I think about Aaron and her. They're holding up Moses' hands. As Israelites are in battle, every time Moses held up his hands in worship, God was fighting for them. But Moses was a human and he got tired. Like, it's so important for those people fighting that I keep my arms up. I just can't do it. I'm tired. And he had men around him who held his arms up when he couldn't. You need people around you to hold your arms up when you can't. It's okay to get tired, but God uses people to help you. Come on. If Moses needed those guys, come on, we need people. Some of us are tired today. You need to let people in your life. One of the pictures that God gives us of the church is that the church is a family. You need family around you. Point one today for taking notes is praise with family. Praise with family. Yes, your kids and your spouse, but your church family. That's why we have hope groups. We're going to be starting them at the end of this month. And this is where we're going to meet in people's homes. And we're going to be by our season of life. Uh, some people are doing uh, marriage ones and parenting ones and prayer ones and all kinds of awesome groups. You know, one about God being your father. And these are places where, yes, we grow together, but really we're there for each other. Where, where, yes, we celebrate one another and we cheer each other on, but we're there. We're vulnerable. We're loving each other. I think about a group I was a part of a few years ago. And I remember in my 20s being a part of this group and we had some older people in it and some middle-aged people. And we got a phone call that you know, one of the people in the groups, their daughter had passed away, their, their teenage daughter. And every single one of us, nobody had to say anything. We all left work. It was the middle of the day. We left work and we drove to their house. We didn't know what we were going to do when we got there. But we knew they needed love. And, and what did we do when we got there? We just sat with them. We cried with them. 
got them tissues, did their dishes. Just loved them, prayed with them. That's what groups are for. That's the place where it's a family. If you'll allow people to be in your life, they'll become your family. We're going to be starting them up in just a couple weeks, and we'll give you all the information on that Sunday. But I want to let you know, you need people around you who will lift you up. People at work, they can't do it the same as people in the church, as people who are loving Jesus, go in the same direction as you, as people who understand, as people who've been where you've been or are going where you're going. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 20. My Bible got all flipped around. There we go. They were up early in the morning, ready to march into the wilderness of Tekoa. This is so cool. The Bible gives us that extra detail that they were up early. It could have just said they woke up and they marched out, but it doesn't. They were so excited to do what God said. They're like, we're going to march out and we're not going to fight, but God is. Let's go. Is the sun up yet? Let's go. They're so excited. I love that enthusiasm. Point two is praise and follow God's instructions. Because sometimes he's already given us instructions. But we need to do what he says. When he tells you to do something, do it quickly. I know sometimes in my humanity, I drag my feet like, did you really say that? I just want to be sure. Maybe there's another way. Doesn't sound super fun right now. Or I had a a different idea. He's like, no, no, no. This is what I say. I think it's because we like control. We forget we're in a battle. And he gives us marching orders. This week, my husband Jay and I, we were on a trip to a pastor's conference in Miami, which was awesome. And uh, we got to fly there. And when we're on the plane, I was thinking about that whole Alaskan Airlines debacle, you know, where part of a door just flew off. Did you, did you see the videos of the people in the plane? They're all just like sitting like this with their oxygen mask on, like not moving, buckled in, like, hey, please land us soon. How could you not think of that when you're on a flight, right? I just imagine those people, when that crazy thing happened, they weren't like, uh, do we have to put our oxygen mask on? They're like, give me my mask. Thank you. I'll wear it the whole time. You don't have to tell me you know, to not take it off. I'll, I'll definitely keep it on. And they weren't like, I don't want to wear my seatbelt. They're like, no, no, no. Captain said, put your seatbelts on. I'm going to wear my seatbelt. And they're not like, uh, could I use the lavatory? No, you'll fly out the side of the plane. You can't use the lavatory. They're just sitting there like, ah, thank you, Captain, that you are getting us somewhere safely. They knew that their lives were in the hands of the pilot. And I think about how God cares about our lives way more than the pilot of an airplane. And when he tells us to do something, it is absolutely for our benefit. And he speaks to us all the time. He speaks through his word. We benefit when we say, Yes, pilot God, that's a great idea. I want to do what you say because I know you can see better than I can see. You're God. I'm not. You hold everything else in your fist. He speaks to us through people. He speaks to us in a still, small voice. But when he speaks, let's enthusiastically say, yes, I want to do what you say because I know it's good. If people on a plane can listen out of fear, we can listen out of love. Out of, you are such a good father. Absolutely. You tell me to buckle my seatbelt? Yes. Oxygen mask? Okay. 
Maybe God is telling you today, you need to tithe. Do it enthusiastically. Trust him with the first 10% of your income. Get up early and do the thing he's telling you to do. Maybe he's like, I just really want to spend time with you. And you're feeling afraid or you're feeling lonely. And he's like, if you would just open up my word, I want to spend time with you. If you would just open up my word, you would have so much peace and joy. Wake up early. Spend the first part of your day with him. Don't be like, okay, well, if I get to it today, you know, maybe, maybe in a few hours. No, no, no. Whatever he's telling you to do, do it quickly. For me, I know he's telling me. It's not written in his word, but he's telling me. Put your phone to bed. Give it a bedtime. Like, let it have its bed in the kitchen, far away from your room. Put it to bed before your children. I got an alarm clock so I can have something to wake me up in the morning instead of my phone. Because God wants to spend time with me first. And the first thing that we do in the day, that imprints us for the rest of the day. So if I pick up my phone first thing, then all these notifications are going to imprint me. And I don't want that. I want to talk to God first thing. I want to say, good morning, God. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And then, yes, I spend time in his word. But whatever he's telling you to do, do it quickly. It's for your benefit. All right, the rest of verse 20. As they were leaving, Jehoshaphat stood up and said, listen, Judah and Jerusalem, listen to what I have to say. Believe firmly in God, your God, and your lives will be firm. Believe in your prophets and you'll come out on top. Believe in God. What's the one work Jesus said God wants from us? Believe in the one he sent. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in God. Believe in the people that he puts in your life. Believe your pastor when she tells you God's word. Believe. Point three is to praise by faith. Praise by faith. We praise because we believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We praise by faith. Verse 21. After talking over with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed a choir for God dressed in holy robes. They were to march ahead of the troops singing, give thanks to God, his love never quits. What's he do? He appoints a worship team. They all get up early. They're like, we're going to battle. Wait, let's get a worship team out here. And it says he put them in front of of the skilled fighting men. He put them in front of the troops. He put them in front of the people with weapons, worshipers from the tribe of Judah. They're armed with a choir robe. They're like, yeah, we look good. No weapons. If the enemy attacked, they're defenseless. But God was their shield, right? Judah went first. Judah means praise. When you're faced with a battle, God says, send praise up first. Point four, praise first. Praise first. Praise is an expression of faith. We praise God for who he is and what he has done. We praise him because we know he has the victory. We praise him because of what's going to happen, because what he has said. We praise him because we believe his word. So many times in the Old Testament, when the people ask God, what should we do in this battle? He says, send Judah up first. Send praise up first. It happened in Judges. Israelites are facing the Canaanites. What do we do? Send Judah first. Praise goes first. It goes up by faith. 
Whenever there's an enemy, praise goes first. Whenever you're in a battle, praise goes first. In Jewish tradition, they say that when the Israelites left slavery and they were going to the Red Sea before Moses parted it, a captain from the tribe of Judah and his horse, they went into the water first, all the way up to the horse's nose because praise goes first by faith, even before you see the Red Sea parted. Praise goes first. Verse 22, as soon as they started shouting and praising, as soon as they started praising, God sent ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir as they were attacking Judah, and they all ended up dead. The Ammonites and the Moabites mistakenly attacked those from Mount Seir and massacred them. Then further confused, they went at each other, and they all ended up killed. As soon as they started praising, God was fighting for them. Come on. They sent praise first by faith. So they wouldn't even be tempted to fight that battle because if you fight your own battles, you don't need God to fight for you. But you know that he's better at it than we are? Like the enemy destroyed each other. Who does that? Point five is while we praise, God fights. While we praise, God fights. We can rest in the finished work of Jesus. We're more than conquerors because of Jesus. The battle is already won. Let God fight for you. Remember, the battle is for your worship. The enemy has no power when you're like, I'm praising first. I'm worshiping God. He already won this battle. Come on. Verse 24. As Judah came up over the rise, looking into the wilderness for the horde of barbarians, they looked on a killing field of dead bodies. Man, the Bible's so cool. Like this epic war movie. Not a living soul was among them. Crazy. Their praise cut down the enemy before they could even see them. Like they're just marching up the hill, praising God, praise the Lord not even thinking about fighting. And then they come up over the mountain and they're like, what? The enemy killed each other. We didn't even have to fight. When we look at situations, we see two options. These guys, they probably saw two options. Okay, we can fight and maybe win, but we're really tired. We just fought another battle. Or we can fight and lose. That's all I see. Option A, fight and win. Option B, fight and lose. But God, he always has an option C. I like to call it option P for praise. This third option that we don't even imagine or think of. It's like Paul and Silas in prison in the New Testament. They're arrested. They're sitting in prison, chained, shackled together. Acts 16, 25 says, along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. So they're sitting in prison, praising God. Like, they're like, hello, you're in prison. It's not fun here. You won't be praising God for long. They're like, no, 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 we praise God for who he is and what he has done. We don't know what's gonna happen. But Paul, he was an educated man. He would know what happened with Jehoshaphat. He would know that when Israel praised, when Judah praised, God fought for them. 
Just like you hearing this message, when you go into battle, you know that when you praise, God fights for you. And so the next verse says, without warning, a huge earthquake, the jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, all of the prisoners were loose. What? That's crazy. Let's see, option A, sit here in our chains and be sad and be shaken, which is understandable. Option B, sit here in our chains and praise God, like what else are we gonna do? What do we have to lose? And then God brings option P for praise and opens up all the prison doors. So cool. Praise does not deny our circumstances. It declares that God is faithful no matter what our situation is, no matter what it looks like, Gehazi, no matter if it looks like you're surrounded. It's declaring God's got an army surrounding them. Someone from our church a few weeks ago, they had a project at work and uh, that person and I, they prayed together because they're like, hey, this other person has really done some unfair things with the project and I don't know what to do. Option A is I can meet with them and confront them and tell them like, hey, what you're doing, this is not fair. This is not good. This is not good for our company. Or I could do option B, not talk to them about it. And they prayed about it. And what happened is God did option P for praise. He had their supervisor talk to that person at work and fix everything. They didn't have to fight the battle. They didn't have to lift a finger. They didn't have to confront that person. Someone else, they had a friend who said something that really was offensive to their child, really was offensive to their teenager. And they're like, should I confront that person? Should I not confront them? And and they said, God, what do you want? I'm gonna praise you. I don't know what to do. I'm gonna ask you, what do you want? And what God did is he intervened. He had someone else talk to that person again. That's what he does, option P. When he fights our battles, it's so much better than when we fight for ourselves. Like we can fight for ourselves, but who wants to when God fights better than we do? Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to carry off the plunder, they found more loot than they could carry off. Equipment, clothing, valuables. It took three days to cart it away. On the fourth day, they came together at the Valley of Blessing and they blessed God. Wow. They knew where their victory came from. They blessed God. They praised Him before the battle. They praised Him in the battle. They praised Him after the battle. And because God fought the battle, they had three days worth of plunder that they didn't lift a finger for because God fought the battle. He blessed them through the battle. He worked it out for their good and for His glory. That's what He does, that's who He is. When God fights for you, the outcome is so much better than your best. This is why we praise Him, especially when you're in a battle. Point one, praise with family. Get to church, get people around you, get in a hope group and praise with other people, lifting up your arms, reminding you of the goodness of God, reminding you of His faithfulness. Point two, praise and follow His instructions. He told them to march and they're like, not only will we march, we'll march early. Whatever God told you to do, do it with enthusiasm. 
Point three, praise by faith. Even though you don't see the end of the story, even though you don't know what's gonna happen, you know the God who is in charge of everything. You know that he's Jehovah Nisi, he's your banner. He's the one who fights for you. Praise by faith. Point four, praise first. Praise first. When you get bad news, you need that hug from God. You need to be reminded of who he is. Praise first. Bad news, I'm gonna praise God. Unexpected thing, I'm gonna praise God. People coming to you, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna praise God. I don't have all the answers, but he does. And point five, while we praise, God fights. He fights so much better than we could. Before Jesus, we had two options. Option A, because we have a sin nature from Adam and Eve, we could try to live up to God's standard of righteousness. We could offer sacrifices to atone for our sins so that we could relate to God, so that we could talk to Him, so we could enjoy Him, so we could be loved by Him and we could learn from Him. But that's trying, trying, trying to be good enough and over and over and over, we just never could do it. Option B, to give up and say, you know what, screw this, I can't, God. I can't, I'm gonna do life my own way. I can never be good enough. But God provided a third option. Option P, Jesus. He's the one who paid for our sins permanently. He did what we couldn't do. Because God loves us so much, He sent His one and only Son. So we didn't have to do option A or option B. He said, I've taken care of your sin problem. At the cross, Jesus' blood, it cleansed all of your sin so that God forgets it. As far as the East is from the West, He forgets it. You don't have to carry around guilt or shame. When God looks at you, He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the righteousness of His Son. When God looks at you, He loves you. And because of Jesus, we can relate to God every single day. Not because of our goodness or our efforts, but just by believing, believing in the one he sent. Jesus is an eternal sacrifice for our sin problem. He who knew no sin, he became sin so we could become children of God. And we trust in Jesus by faith, simply by believing. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that today. Trusting in Jesus changes everything. God gave Jesus because he loves you. He brought you here today because he loves you. And he says, this is your option C, your third option, your option P. If you wanna trust in Jesus, then what I'll do is I'll cleanse your sin. And then my Holy Spirit can live with you. I can be with you all the time. He restores my relationship with you, but it starts by believing. You get to choose. Do you wanna keep doing life your way? Fighting your battles? Or do you wanna let me give you Jesus who has the victory? If you wanna trust in Jesus, we believe with our hearts and we just confess with our mouths. We say it out loud. There's power in our declaration. There's power in our praise. And so if you wanna trust in Jesus today, just gonna ask you to pray out loud, repeat after me. We say, God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I trust in Jesus. Thank you for his blood that cleanses me. Thank you for your Holy Spirit 
who fills me. Show me how to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.